A ton of people were saying, don't do it. You're going to go ahead and handcuff yourself to this big commitment. You're so young, yada, yada. I, the majority of people said no. And one thing I've learned is this. When most people tell you it's not good, do it. Because most people usually make bad decisions. That's why most people are broke. That's why most people don't have money in the bank. That's why most people live check to check. Welcome to the House Hacking Success Podcast, where you'll learn the path to free rent and financial freedom through real estate. Featuring your hosts, Brad Labrie and Drew Klingler. What's up, everybody? It's your host, Bradley Labrie. And today I want to talk about the podcast sponsor, Rentometer. Whether you already have an established rental business or analyzing your first rental deal, you know that getting the rent right is crucial to lowering investment risk and optimizing your rental income. That's why the go-to source for rent data is Rentometer. Property investors and property managers rely on Rentometer because it is the fastest and easiest way to access quality rent data for addresses and neighborhoods anywhere in the United States. You can also research current, local comps, trends, and property data. Don't take our word for it. Rentometer analyzes over 500,000 rents per month and gets rave reviews from customers. My property manager, myself, and my clients all use Rentometer anytime we are looking to purchase a new property to know exactly what we can get for our properties. Go to Rentometer.com today to get your seven-day free trial and save up to 60%. Grow your rental business smarter with Rentometer. What's up, everybody? Real quick before we start the show, if you go down to the description or the show notes for this podcast episode, there's a link and that's going to send you to a page that you can download our free ebook on. This ebook is really good. Brad wrote it and it covers everything that you need to know about house hacking in a very structured order so you can put all the pieces together. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome to the House Hacking Success Show. Today we have Victor Nino on the show. He mentored two of our guests, Andreas and Diego. Victor is a house hacking OG. He has been house hacking before it was a term and before it was cool. Welcome to the show, Victor. Thank you. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself for the guests? So I grew up in a small town along the South Texas-Mexico border. At 17, my dad sat me down and said, where, where are you moving to? And I was like, what do you mean? We hadn't planned anything. And he says, well, you're not living here anymore, so you better figure out where you're going to move. And a couple of weeks later, I moved to Austin. And uh, I lived with my brother probably for about three weeks. No, actually a little bit more because I was 17. About three months, I lived with my brother. And I turned 18 and I finally got my first apartment, started working, going to school. The school thing wasn't for me, so I decided not to continue. And I bought my first house when I was 19. Cool. So that was college that you went to and decided to yeah, continue? Yeah, it was actually a community college. I decided not to continue. I ended up getting a pretty decent or what I thought was good money back then at a job. And I decided just to not, you know, continue with school. But, you know, I do remember celebrating my 20th birthday in my house, which was pretty unique <laughs> and interesting. Yeah. Big house party. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't even of age, but somehow, you know, everybody had uh, some uh, beverages there. <laughs> <laughs> Just colas, right? Um, <laughs> of course. But, of course. <laughs> pretty awesome. You got your first house at 19. What compelled you to go buy a house? Did you already have the idea that you were going to go house hack that house or did you kind of fall into that? No. So the way... It happened for me is this. I wanted to buy a nice car. I wanted to buy a car because at that age, you know, I wanted to look cool. So I went to go test drive a Mustang and I fell in love with it. Went to visit my brother who was a realtor. And uh, he's like, wow, man, that's a nice car. Come into my office. And he started showing me how much that Mustang would be worth five years from now. So he's all like, you know what? It's 1998. Let's look at a 1993, 1994 car uh, Mustang. And then I started looking at the prices. He's like, well, just so know this is more or less how much your vehicle is going to be worth less than half of what you're paying right now and frankly at first i was like well i don't care because i want a new car and i want to look cool but uh eventually i started thinking about it and he's like look you can buy a house rent out rooms and live for free and instead of using the money that you're paying right now in rent you can go ahead and use that for your car and i was like wow i had never heard of that uh, so I, I'll tell you, my brother was the one that guided me making that decision. Very cool. I mean, that's really cool. One, like to learn that at such a young age, you know, I think a lot of people probably would have went 
for the car if they could afford it just so they could look cool. I know our listeners, you know, are the type of people that are going to try and go buy a house before they buy the cool car. You know, at that age, people are really focused on like impressing other people. So was that kind of difficult for you to put that off and delay that gratification or was it a pretty easy decision? It was actually easy. I mean, the way I grew up, we didn't really, I mean, we never had a new car growing up. Like my parents never had a new car. Our, cow, our house was pretty beat up and jacked up, no AC in South Texas, hot as hell. So you know what? I think that in the long run, it's going to be good for me. And after looking at some numbers and you know, kind of looking at the difference between staying on that path as a tenant or, or buying, I decided just to buy. And, and frankly, I mean, I really didn't know any better other than just say, you know what? My brother's older than me. He's a real estate agent. He owns several rental properties. He knows more than I do. Let me just go ahead and and pay attention and just do as he says. So that's basically how it happened. Awesome. And then I assume that was a single family and you rented out by the rooms? Yes, sir. And um, I actually had a roommate that I was living with back then before I bought my house. And we had a one bedroom apartment. Back then, rent was $500 a month. He paid half. I paid half. Three months, I would sleep in the living room and then we would switch. And then I would take the bedroom and he would go to the living room. So that's the way we were managing for that time that we were roommates. And I remember going to him and saying, hey, you know what? If I buy a house, you'll have your own room. I know right now you're paying $250. Would you be okay paying $75 more to have your own room? And he's like, hell yeah. So that's how I decided to go ahead and buy. And then eventually I ended up finding another roommate that paid the same thing. And uh, I started living for $40 a month. That's so great. Yeah. Check this out. My mortgage payment, $690. My interest rate. Now this is very important. And this is one of the reasons why I told Andres that I wanted to come on this. Right now I'm a realtor. And sometimes people will say, oh my God, you know, I'm getting 3.25. That's ridiculously high. And I'm like, you have no idea what high is. When I bought my house, I was paying 7.25 and it was great because guess what? In the early nineties and eighties, they were in the teens and in the high teens. So just think about that. Anybody that's thinking about buying a house right now, if it's under 6%, it is a steal. They're practically giving you money. Yeah, that's amazing. And then even with those interest rates, you're still able to find good deals, it sounds like. Oh, yeah, yeah. And of course, Austin wasn't Austin like we know it today. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it ended up being a great uh, a great purchase. I still have it, by the way. Oh, awesome. So what did things look like once you got into that house hack? When did you decide that you were going to like buy more rental properties, go into a second house hack? You know, what were the events leading up to that? I'll tell you when I ended up getting that house, I actually check this out. I actually have the paperwork. When I first bought it, and I'm looking at it, I spent $80,000. I paid at closing $985, and I had given $500 earnest money. Like that sounds ridiculous nowadays. Yeah, where but, do I find one of those? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, let's just backtrack 22 years, 22 right. years, and we'll do it. But yeah, I mean, what changed in me was this I said, you know what? Now I'm living for free. I ended up getting two more friends that moved in from my hometown and I ended up charging each of them $250 and then I started living for free. So I was making $320 a month instead of paying $400 for a car payment. And and now I'm like, you know what? I can save to buy that car. I can buy myself another house. So then I started falling in love with real estate and I bought a duplex after that. And I ended up getting a three bedroom, two bath duplex on each side. My house was actually one and a half bath. So when I was doing the loan application, they're asking, well, why, why do you want to buy a duplex if you already own a single family home? And I said, because I have to share uh, restrooms with my, with my roommates. And frankly, I just want to go ahead and have my own. My brother is going to go live with me. So that was the story. And and I just want to have my own space. So then they approved me as an FHA loan as well. And then uh, from there, I just started thinking, you know what, instead of looking forward to buying a house, let me, I mean, I'm sorry, a car, let me look forward to buying another property. So that's how I started you know, buying properties at that age. That's amazing. What advice do you have for people that are in that age range that are looking to get started, but they're not really sure how? Look at the long game. Ask yourself, how do you want your 40-year-old self to experience life? And the thing is this, if you make good choices and you have discipline, your 40-year-old self is going to be very, very, very happy with you because of the decisions you made in your early 20s or early 30s even. So having discipline is really it. Uh, Saving money and You know, at the end of the day, most people turn cash into trash, right? Cash into trash. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, you know, eh, I'm going to go buy three, four hundred dollar sneakers. And then guess what? 
I'll tell you this, walking into thousands of homes in 17 years that I've been in real estate, the interesting thing is usually the lower income tier end up having all the expensive sneakers and the big rims outside and the big TVs. And another thing that I noticed was that when I ended up going to the fancy homes, they had books and that was very different. So it's like, what would I tell a younger person? Read, listen to podcasts, listen to audiobooks. How are you going to be able to create a life by design? And it's just by taking control and making decisions on something that's going to be good for you in the long run. Even though some of your friends may be, you know, living it up per se a little bit more right now because they're living in the nice apartment versus a beat up one or, you know, driving that nicer car instead of a beater. I didn't get myself a nice car till I was 30 years old. So I ended up from 19, 11 years waiting to have a nice car. No kidding. And you started with, I want that nice car. And someone kind of sounds like someone nudged you in the right way. And you know, that's what delayed gratification is though. Like if you can delay gratification, the longer you can delay it out, the bigger the reward's going to be. Oh yeah. And now I have the nice car and the nice house and I live for free still. <laughs> That's a good life. <laughs> oh yeah, it's beautiful. So uh, tell us a little bit more about some other deals that you did. I know you've house hacked five times. Is there any specific deals that you think would benefit our listeners? I think the main thing when it comes to house hacking, the key is, is selecting the right roommates, setting up the right atmosphere, setting up the right expectations because that's where things can go sideways and things can go real bad. So, you know, I had some rules after having some issues with some roommates and so forth that wanted to have that as a party house. And I'm like, no, I'm not gonna, this is not going to be a party house. We could have a party every now and then, but this is not going to be where people come and crash and party and drink. This is not that house. So I actually wrote down some rules. And whenever somebody said, hey, I want to live with you, I'd be like, well, these are the rules. If you're okay with the rules, then you can be my roommate. If, you can, if you're not, then it's cool. Mm -hmm. But at least, you know, we, we're not going to have issues down the line because we are not, you know, on the right page or on the same page with what I expect. So for me, um, and this is something that, you know, I mentioned to, to Diego when he was starting. And it's pretty interesting how, you know, the younger, the younger kids can actually take it to the next level because... I remember telling Diego about this and then years later, he's talking about house hacking. And I'm like, dude, what the hell is that? It's like, well, this is when you do this. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know that was like a term. <laughs> and I mean, he's taking it to a whole new level, which is something that's pretty awesome. But, you know, another thing that I would tell him is this, uh, what can create issues is when uh, you have a roommate that his cleaning level of cleanliness is a certain level and the other roommates are like, they're not having it. So one thing that I started doing, I would hire somebody to come and clean every two weeks, a deep clean of the house and we would split it amongst the roommates. So I'd be like, hey, somebody's going to come and clean and make sure that everything was going to look good because if not, then what happens? Your home starts deteriorating. That's really interesting. I, I've never heard that before, but that I think that's a great idea because you can't, like you said, you can have a lot of issues with the shared living space. I mean, I'm sure everybody's experienced it if they've just had roommates in an apartment, whether they're house hacking or not. But mm -hmm. is that something that you wrote into the lease or was it kind of a verbal agreement amongst Oh, no, you? it was a separate document and it was like super uh, simple and easy to read to make sure that we were like on the same page. So that was really, really a game changer for me because then I stopped having issues. Another thing that I started doing is I would fix up the living room, make it real nice, nice furniture. So in the common spaces to make sure that, you know, whoever was considering, they would kind of validate even if I was charging just a little bit more with the fact that it was going to be a nice place to live in as well. So that was also very helpful. Awesome. Was there any other preventative rules that you had to have amongst the roommates? No drugs, no drama with a girlfriend or anything like that. <laughs> and just to be respectful of each other, making sure that, you know, they would clean their dishes and whoever and whoever wouldn't, we, we ended up setting up a thing. If somebody else washed your dishes, you would have to pay them 20 bucks. So then all of a sudden people started washing their dishes. Yeah. Accountability is real. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, definitely. So, you know, all those little things that can cause issues, I think, um, you know, I eliminated by taking certain steps. And a big one was actually putting a lock on every door. You know, uh, usually interior doors don't have a, a key hole to mm -hmm. enter a bedroom. 
but I actually switched them all out. And reason being is because if roommate A was on vacation for the weekend or whatever, we didn't have any issues like, hey, somebody went in my room and they took a watch or whatever the case may be. So uh, that was another thing that was really good. I had my my master bedroom also under lock. So whenever I would take off, I knew nobody was going to go in there. And, you know, all the stuff was going to be there when I returned. Was a shared living space, like living room, kitchen and all that, was that furnished by you or would people bring in their own furniture? By me. Okay. And when you move out and you made that a full-time rental, did you go with rent by the bedroom or did you just rent out the house as a whole? I tried that a couple of times and sometimes it became a little rough. I had a, a buddy of mine that ended up staying in one of my homes for a while. We did that, but people were individually paying rent and sometimes things weren't working out as easily as when I was there. So I stopped doing that. The cost, obviously, I ended up renting it for a little bit less. Yet at a certain age, you start thinking about convenience over money. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and rent it out. Another cool thing right now that I just started doing is uh, looking for people looking uh, to do short-term rentals. So right now in Austin, there are a lot of people that are getting homes built. There's a ton of delays. There's people that are at the end of their lease and, and they need to find a place to live in maybe for three months, two to three months. So what I started doing, I said, all right, come and bring your applications. I'm going to go ahead and uh, be open to do short-term leases. And I'm charging about $500 more than what I would have otherwise. So that's another thing. That's not house hacking, but it's another way to maximize your rents. And usually people that do short-term rentals, they're not going to you know, put... Uh, they're not going to hang things on the wall. Mm-hmm. They're probably just going to leave most of it in, in boxes in the garage and just live uh, with as little things as possible just because they're not planning to stay there long. Cool. That's pretty common right now. You know, short-term rentals are really blowing up. Do you feel like there's any issues with the amount of turnover it creates or has it just been very smooth rolling? This is the first time I'm going to do it, but okay. it should be fine. I mean, these guys have practically 800 credit score. Uh, They have good jobs. So I don't anticipate any issues whatsoever, but only time will tell. And you're just doing a month to month lease? No, I'm doing a three month minimum. And then after that, it's going to be month to month. But then obviously making sure that I uh, have them agree that the last month that they're going to be there, they're going to allow me to show it to other prospective tenants. And very important, before I would say, oh, you'll give me permission. And then sometimes they, they weren't flexible and they would go ahead and say, well, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm open to showing it on uh, Saturday between 10 and 12 noon. And that's it. I don't want any showings all week long. So now I made it in the agreement where it's like, hey, if somebody gives you a one hour notice, you're going to give them permission and have them sign on it. So to make sure that we're not going to have a big lapse uh, from one tenant to the other, because if you show it the last three weeks of a person's lease, then the likelihood of you getting somebody in maybe a couple days after is going to be a lot higher. I have something similar in my lease, but I like the specific time like statement there because I mean, that's going to make sure that you can actually get people in there. You know, luckily I, since I've bought this place, I haven't had any vacancy and I've had multiple tenants thanks to that rule and people being cool with it. But I really like that. Oh yeah. And another thing I do is when people move in uh, or back then I don't do house hacking in my current home, but back then what I would do say you wanted to move in into my house. So then I, uh, one thing I would do is uh, all the utilities were split evenly, every utility. So you would show up and you're like, hey, you know what? Um, I'm moving in tomorrow. It's August 1st. And then I would say, OK, last month's electric bill was this. The water bill was this. The gas bill was this. You're going to pay me. And they're like, well, I wasn't here last month. What's up, everybody? Let's take a quick minute and talk about rent ready. Are you new to house hacking and wondering how you find tenants and collect rent? especially while trying to maintain professional boundaries and a shared living space, RentReady can help you manage your house hack setup. For less than $9 a month, you can do it all. Fill rooms quickly with sites like Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist with a free professionally designed listing page. Find high-quality tenants with TransUnion certified background checks, electronically send, signed, and store leases, and collect rent for the entire lease or set up month-to-month charges. For your tenants, they use RentReady's app to complete the application, sign their lease, and pay you rent. They can even submit maintenance requests from the app instead of knocking on your door. Even better, RentReady is unlimited, so you don't have to pay per unit or per tenant. Just one flat price, which puts more money in your pocket. And speaking of putting more money in your pocket, RentReady has given our listeners 
a discount to get 50% off any Rent Ready plan when you sign up using our special code SUCCESS at RentReady.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com using code SUCCESS for 50% off any Rent Ready plan. All right, let's get back to the episode. And then I would say, okay, last month's electric bill was this. The water bill was this. The gas bill was this. You're going to pay me. And they're like, well, I wasn't here last month. It's like, I understand. But see, when you move out, I'm not going to go out and find you so you can pay me the last month. So let's go ahead and handle it now. And then when you move out, you're good. Yeah, that makes sense. And that should balance out for them, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And having a sheet also. Well, now it's a lot easier because of technology, like with a phone and so forth. But it's like somebody moves in, you go and record that video, that uh, bedroom, and you're like, hey, you know what? There's a mark here. This is broken. The knob is loose, whatever the case may be. And that way, when they move out, you look at that again. And if there's a hole in the wall or the door's coming off, then now you know it was caused by them. So it comes out of their deposit. Yeah, it's really smart. You know, I'd recommend any landlord just doing that anytime that they have a vacancy. And I'd also recommend having your tenants do the same thing so you can avoid those discrepancies. Oh, yeah. And another thing that's really important, always use the same color paint in the whole interior of the house. So that way you don't have to go back and try and figure out at the paint store what kind of paint you used in one room versus the other. Just make it nice and simple. And write it down. Yeah, write it down. Yeah, keep your notes. Yeah, I have a, I use an app called OneNote that Microsoft made, but... You know, I put I put stuff like as detailed as what size the blinds are and where I got them, what brand. So I'll take a picture of the box and then I'll put down it's in this room, this room and this room on these windows. So awesome. if blinds ever break, I'm going to save myself, you know, a couple trips to the store grabbing the wrong blinds or having to, you know, take down the hardware. I don't want to take down the hardware. I got snap in ones. I just want to pop them right back in and make them easy. So, of course, no, that's good. And being prepared, obviously, being organized is super, super important. Absolutely. What did the other house hacks look like? I know we were talking earlier, you said you did FHAs for multiple of them. Oh yeah. So after the duplex, I ended up buying one right by uh, downtown Austin or maybe about three miles from downtown Austin. And I ended up taking all my roommates over there. It was kind of funny. It was like, I would I would move and then they would all move with me. <laughs> That's so it was perfect. Pretty, pretty tripped out. But yeah, I mean, we, we had, um, you know, it was pretty fun group of guys and everybody was respectful. And, you know, most of the time, you know, people would do their, their own thing. And, and this is one thing that I always tell people, because sometimes I'll pitch this as an idea for someone and they'll be like, oh, but I got to share a place that's inconvenient. You know, roommates are problematic. And one thing that I've noticed is when people say that, usually it's because they're the ones that are problematic. So it's like, if you work on your social skills and you have that ability to get along with a wide variety of people, then you're not going to have a, a, a bad experience house hacking. So, um, you know, I ended up moving to another home in, in the city of Round Rock, which is north uh, of the Austin metro area. And I stayed there maybe, you know, three more years. I ended up moving close to downtown again in another property, same thing. And then after, after a while, um, by the time I turned 35, that's when I said, you know what? This whole house hacking thing is cool, but it's a young man's game. I want to have my privacy now. So I ended up moving downtown to a high rise. But the cool thing is all my rental properties were now paying for me to live downtown for free. And this is something that's beautiful about real estate. Aside from the fact that they've gone up a lot in value, but just the fact that they give you and feed you every single month over and over and over and over again. I mean, that's why I have this beautiful love affair with real estate. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a cool strategy. Like anyone that's like ready to buy their dream home, if they could do a couple house hacks like you did just to cover those costs of that dream home, that's mine and my wife's goal. Um, we know a lot of people that that's their goal and it's truly amazing because you can go get your dream home and you can just relax, not worry about that mortgage payment at all and, you know, live very comfortable. Oh yeah. And I'll tell you, uh, I was at a mixer here in the neighborhood. Uh, all the homes here are pretty nice, real, real nice neighborhood. And I'm having a chat with someone and I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I ended up investing some properties, yada, yada. And the beautiful thing is they keep paying and paying and paying. And, you know, thankfully we live for free. And I'm like, well, what do you mean for free? It's like, yeah, I don't pay for my mortgage. All my awesome tenants pay me every single month and that pays for my house. And some of them were looking at each other like, what the hell? Like, I've never heard this before. <laughs> and it, and, and sometimes it's lack of exposure to this kind of information. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's, you know, people don't want to be inconvenienced by, you know, choosing to get that smaller home first so that you can house hack. 
versus getting that dream home right off the bat. So like I was saying before, delayed gratification is the key to a beautiful future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like what you're talking about just now with the comfort level, I mean, Craig Kerlop, he has this really cool graph and it's like comfortability versus profitability. And it's like the least comfortable you are, the more profitable it's going to be. The more comfortable you are, the less profitable it's going to be. But there's always going to be like, you know, you can look at that graph and figure out, do I want to live in this tiny little one bedroom, rent out all my bigger bedrooms, you know, have shared living space with all these people? Or do I want to be really comfortable? And like my idea of like house hacking and being very comfortable is like getting like a side-by-side duplex, something that's kind of mirrored on both sides, that's private you can fence in the yards and that's going to be like maximum comfort level, right? Mm -hmm. As far as house hacking goes, but it's not going to be as profitable. You probably aren't going to live hundred percent for free in a property like that versus Mm -hmm. running by the bedroom at a single family or getting into a fourplex. Sure. And, and the thing is this, um, always look at the numbers The numbers tell you the story. I know my wife, when I met her, you know, she never heard of the stuff that we're talking about. And uh, we ended up buying a couple properties once she moved to Austin and uh, two of them, she's like, I don't like them. I was like, who cares? It's not about if we like the house or not. It doesn't matter. Do we like the numbers? And see, if we like the numbers, then it works. Unfortunately, people start getting emotional when they're making a decision about buying a house. I'll, I'll tell you, it was this client of mine. I told her about this amazing deal. And she's like, no, I don't want that because it doesn't have a a window that faces the front of the house. (laughs) And I'm like, it doesn't matter. I'll tell you right now, that house more than doubled in price, but it was because it wasn't about the numbers. It was about, do I feel it's the right house for me? Does it feel right? Is it beautiful? Is it a cute neighborhood? Who cares? If the numbers work, buy. That's Mm -hmm. my philosophy. I totally agree. One thing I would add on to that is, is if it's not an area that you would feel comfortable living in, other people might not. So as long as you're focusing on like a good area that you can foresee that it's going to get better over time or even stay the same and you feel comfortable living there, don't worry about the small details like what window is facing where and where the sunrise is going to be and whether it has a porch or not, right? If the numbers make sense, go for it. Exactly. Yeah, it definitely uh, is important for you to look at what is going to be profitable versus what do I love? And of course, it's important, like you said, it has to be something that you are uh, going to be comfortable living in that neighborhood. I mean, if something's outside of your comfort zone where it's like, man, this is a little bit too dangerous or whatever the case may be, then don't do it. But uh, other than that, I mean, I- I'll tell you this, when it comes to thinking what's too dangerous or what what's not, it all depends on the perception of a person. Because I remember when I first started the the real estate thing. I told this girl, I'm like, Hey, you might not want to live in this neighborhood. You're a single girl. la la la. And she's like, well, I grew up a couple blocks away. My grandma lives over there. And I was like, Oh my God, I felt so bad. So again, everybody has a different level of what they think is good, bad, dangerous, shady, whatever the case may be. But you do need to understand the numbers just because it's a lower end neighborhood. Doesn't mean the numbers are going to work just because it's a higher end neighborhood. Doesn't mean the numbers are going to work. So always look at the numbers. When you're analyzing a property, do you prioritize cash flow or is there anything else that you prefer to look cash at? Cash flow. Cash flow because at the end of the day, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. And the thing is that there's downturns. And that's what I was telling Diego and Andreas not long ago. I'm like, look, you guys have been adults only through the upswing. But back in 2006 to you know, or 2007, I'm sorry, to about 2011, it was real bad. Home prices took a big dive. But if you were profiting because of the passive income, then you were in good shape. Because if not, you know, the home prices took a big dive. Like, you know, home prices were probably 15, 20% below what people had paid in 2006. Some of them went like to 50% in some areas of town. So another thing is this, and I was telling Andresa about this, And I'm like, look, I think people can also learn a lot by being very careful who they pay attention to. I made a mortal mistake back in 2008 where I started reading these books. Aftershock was the name of the book. And uh, I ended up selling a couple of my properties because I thought that, you know, the market was going to crash. And, you know, we hear and see videos like that on YouTube. Yeah, the market is crashing or whatever. And I ended up selling some properties that I regret selling right now. One thing is for sure is this. If you keep your home for the long run, you will always win because home prices are not going to be taking a dip for 10, 15 years. 
you know, it goes up and down, up and down. But every single time I've talked to someone that's owned a home more than 20, 30 years, they always make a beautiful profit. That's such a great point. And even if it's at a high, like it's still probably a good time to buy it because you don't know when that cra- we've been hearing for the last seven years that there's going to be a housing market crash, right? And look at what's happened. The prices have soared compared to like 2014, 2015. And if you get quality tenants in there and the property cash flows, I mean, you, you're protected. Oh yeah. And I'll tell you this, another thing I tell people, because sometimes people are afraid to buy and they say, well, you know, the, the biggest thing people will say, oh, I don't want to have that commitment of owning the home. And I'm like, so what's the downside of owning a home? And then they'll say, oh, the upkeep. Oh, uh, you know, if something breaks, I'm going to have to fix it myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't just move because now I'm stuck for 30 years. Like these perceptions, I don't know why people say that. I remember when I was buying my my first house, I'll tell you, a ton of people were saying, don't do it. You're going to go ahead and handcuff yourself to this big commitment. You're so young, yada, yada. The majority of people said no. And one thing I've learned is this, when most people tell you, it's not good. Do it because most people usually make bad decisions. That's why most people are broke. That's why most people don't have money in the bank. That's why most people live check to check. Okay. So pay attention to who you're following. And one thing I wanted to say about this whole thing with the properties and keeping them and in the long run, uh, I remember there were several friends that were in situations where they were like, you know what? I bought at uh, 120,000. Right now, my house is 80,000. I'm just going to stop paying it. Well, they were probably paying like a thousand or $900 a month in mortgage. They ended up renting somewhere for practically the same thing. Okay. So they had the same responsibility. Well, I had another roommate, uh, another friend, I'm sorry, in that same neighborhood. They still own the house. That house is now like $400,000. One person kept it, the other one got scared and sold. Another thing I tell people, look, let's just pretend you lose your job. And in one scenario, you have an apartment. The other scenario, you have a home. Which one is worse? Which one would put more pressure on you? And sometimes they're like, well, a home, because then they could take it away, da-da-da. I'm like, it takes such a long time for them to foreclose on you. Over here, you're out like this. You don't pay your rent. You're not staying there. The the landlord's not going to be like, oh, my God, you lost your job. You know what? Just stay for free. That's not going to happen. The big difference is in your home, guess what you can do? You'll be like, you know what? If I need to stay in the garage or sleep on the floor, I'll just rent out my room, my personal room, and have these roommates pay for the mortgage. You're not going to be homeless. And if push comes to shove, you're like, hey, you know what? I'll rent out the living room too. I'll go stay in the garage. I mean, in extremes, what do you do? You adjust. And that's the thing with being uh, flexible and being lucid and being able to do what you need to do in order to go past those moments that are bad. And the reason I say that is because I just saw so many people lose their mind when home prices started taking a dive. They stopped buying homes and so forth. And the interesting thing is this, when they were real low, guess what? People were saying, I don't want to buy right now because it's low. Imagine the mindset. Now people show up to the store and they usually drink Coca-Cola and they're like, usually the Coca-Cola is five bucks, but right now it's three bucks. Let me buy a few extra ones. But when it comes to homes, they don't do that. And that's the interesting thing. And like you said earlier, yes, for seven years, people have said it's going to come down. It's going to come down. It's going to come down. Well, guess what? Right now the rates are so low. Even if it comes down, you have super low rates. So there's nothing really to worry about. Amazing advice. And and to the point of, you know, you could just move into the garage or move into the living room, whatever, and rent out the extra rooms if it came down to it. And if you're already house hacking too, I mean, look at the risk that takes off. Look at the pressure that takes off. You know, house hacking enables you to be able to do so much. Like if you want to start a business, if you want to take a more fulfilling job, maybe you don't like your job and you want to take a little bit of a pay cut, you can dial things back, maybe house hack a couple of times and then dial things back once you get a little bit of cash flow and live for free. But it, it really takes a lot of pressure off. Oh yeah. And not only that, but it allows you to buy your time back. One thing I've learned throughout the years is this, uh, you know, people say time is money. Time is more important than money because you can always make more money, but you can't make more time. The beautiful thing about house hacking, if you don't have that responsibility because now your roommates are paying for the mortgage 
It allows you to have the freedom to take more chances, whether it's starting another business, whether it's leaving a job that you really don't love and starting something completely new. Why? Because you know that at least the roof over your head is covered. And when you're younger, usually if you don't have kids and so forth, you could take a lot more risk and not feel like, hey, you know what? I, I can't really do this. I even know couples that say, hey, we're going to go ahead and house hack anyways. Yeah, it's inconvenient, but in the long run, it'll be worth it. So it really just depends on what the overall goal is for sure. So a uh, question about property management. Did you manage these properties early on and eventually hire property management or do you still manage them? I manage them. Another thing that I mentioned earlier was the, the concern that people have. They say, oh, well, I don't want to do all these repairs. I don't want to be called in the middle of the night. Well, guess what? Somebody calls me in the middle of the night, my phone's off. Like I'm not EMS. I'm not a firefighter. <laughs> I'm not a cop. Like something breaks, they can, they can wait till the morning. And then my handyman skills uh, is this. Oh, um, there's a issue with uh, electrical uh, problem. And then I call an electrician and I give them the address and I tell them to go. That's all I need. It's a tax deduction anyways. And that way I can focus on doing something else that's more fulfilling or put more money in my pocket in the long run. That's how, that's how I handle those scenarios about you know property management and so forth. I manage all my properties with the exception of one property that actually Diego's brother helped me with in uh, Jacksonville. So I have a property I own over there. I've never seen it ever in my life, but it pays me every month, which so I like it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you love it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Since you've retired from house hacking, what does your investing look like now? Are you are you looking to just buy up as many rental properties as you can? Are you spreading out to different areas outside of real estate? What's mm -hmm. the strategy? So right now I actually have a project going. Uh, this is going to be actually pretty beautiful. I'm building some duplexes. So I'm going to have a, a, an extra 11 units. So that's going to be nice because that's going to put about five grand in the pocket every single month. So that's going to be pretty sexy. So I'm really looking forward to that. Now what I'm wanting to do is, you know, the, the rental properties that I have, I can probably easily take about 300,000 to maybe a little bit more than that from each one. So then I'm going to go ahead and duplicate this deal with the uh, duplexes that I'm building. And I'm going to go ahead and replicate that because at that point, it'll it'll probably put me at about 22 a month. So that's going to be real nice. Awesome. And uh, right now I have a two and a half year old. I have an eight month old. And I'm like, you know what? This is in two years, three years from now, I'll be able to just be completely free to do whatever I want, um, which is pretty awesome. Now, I really don't work a ton like I used to when I was younger. Uh, but I still, you know, live extremely comfortable, especially since I don't have to pay for my vehicles or my uh, my house with uh, my own pocket uh, money. It's someone else's, which is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Living free. And you're a realtor, right? So when did that start? Was it house hacking that kind of gave you that bug? Yeah. So uh, I bought my second property when I was 23, I believe. That's when I bought my duplex at 25. I ended up getting my my real estate license. And I'll tell you, I, I remember walking into my brother's house and he, he he's he's a good brother, man. He's a smart guy. And I remember he starts showing me pictures and he says, do you remember this trip? And I'm like, no, I don't remember that trip. Like, how come? It's like, oh, I didn't go. And then he shows me a picture of another family reunion. I'm like, I didn't go. So he did that like three different events, four different events. And he's like, how come you didn't? You, how, why was the reason that you couldn't go? I was like, I didn't have vacation time. And he's all like, well, you know what, man, you're 25 and you've already missed these three big events. Almost all the family was there. He's like, how many other events do you think you're going to miss in your lifetime because you didn't have vacation time approved from a boss? And I was like, damn, like it kind of like slapped me yeah. in the face. And then he shows me, uh, I used to work a lot of overtime. He shows me a check of how much he made. And he's like, I probably worked 10 hours and look at this check. And I had worked a ton of hours. I made like 600 bucks of overtime money. And then I was like, wow, I really need to look at this. And it was a beautiful transition because most of my friends knew me as the, the young guy that bought his house when he was 19. So they saw me as very responsible. And I started getting business like that, which was pretty awesome. And now, I mean, 17 years in, now I have a team of awesome people and I absolutely love it. The flexibility is, is unreal. And that's uh, another reason why I think I was able to do it is because I didn't have to worry about me not having enough money to pay because 
I had that responsibility of a mortgage. My roommates were paying my mortgage. So mm-hmm. going back to what we said earlier, it gives you that confidence, that freedom, that things are going to be just fine versus being concerned that, hey, if I live, leave my job, I won't be able to do it. So and the funny thing is I actually had I kept my job, but part time and I started doing real estate full time. And they ended up having another job. So it's like for a long time, man, I was working two, three jobs, but it was worth every, like all that effort was worth it because now it's just uh, a, a lot uh, stress, like very stress-free. I get to do a lot of cool stuff. If I want to take my wife and my kids out, you know, for lunch during the middle of the week, we can go. Want to go watch a movie? Let's go. Like, I don't have to ask anybody for permission, which is beautiful. You're the perfect example of like how important it is to just cut your expenses as low as you can early on. Because especially like, you know, like you said, you weren't making, you know, as much money as you wanted at that age, the younger age. But being able to cut out rent when you're not making a lot of money is a significant impact that can really get things moving for you. And you're a great example of that. Yeah. Not only that, but being a student, most people will go to school, graduate, and then they say, that's it. I'm smart. Give me all the opportunities because I earned it and I have this little degree, right? Look at this document right here. Mm -hmm. I now need to make a million dollars a year because I went to school. And life doesn't work like that. Uh, I remember, and I'll tell you, I mean, this is a message for all the people that didn't go to college. Uh, Sometimes, you know, and I'll tell you how I felt. All my friends were graduating and so forth. And deep down inside, I had this feeling like, man, I'm a loser. I didn't go to school and this and that. But then one day, one of my buddies sat me down. He's like, man, I got $80,000 worth of uh, student loans. I got this, this, this. Poor guy, like even up to right now, he hasn't even bought a house. Just think about that. He's my age. And recently he's like, I need to get my real estate license. So I'm like, dude, you can do it, man. Like you can do it. Just let me know. I'll guide you. I've helped like a good amount of people get their real estate license, getting into the business and so forth. But being a student of life is important. So anybody that watches this, I can tell you they're a student of life. Why? They're interested in doing house hacking. They want to go ahead and see how they can maximize their income. They want to look for ways to, you know, get to the next level quicker by having that discipline. That is the kind of person that I think has the opportunity to do very well in life. And now, you know, uh, being that I've been doing this for 17 years, I wanna share my experience and share, you know, the experience of other top realtors as well. I have a podcast myself, it's in Spanish. Los Titanes, the real estate, it's the real estate titans in Spanish. And the reason why I did it in Spanish is because unfortunately sometimes in our Spanish speaking community, the level of service is not that great. So I want to make sure that other speaking of uh, Spanish speaking agents level up and make sure that they're giving like real good service when they're helping people. Awesome. We can link to that in the description. So if we have oh, any cool. uh, Spanish speaking listeners, um, they can go find that. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, so I got to ask, you know, how is the appreciation been of those first few properties you bought. You know, we hear a lot about right now about how hot of a market Austin is. I can imagine that you've seen quite a big chunk of appreciation. Oh yeah. And like right now, the one I told you right now that I'm doing a short-term lease, I ended up, this is so ridiculous. I ended up buying it with a USDA loan, which is zero down. Mm -hmm. I was a realtor. I got paid 6% on it. So just think about this. Somebody gives you the keys to a new house You do zero down payment and then they pay you because you bought the house. So I'll tell you, house hacking and being a realtor is a perfect marriage. Now, I will tell you from the outside in, especially with all these shows on TV, million dollar real estate agent, it looks easy. But man, get your real estate license so you know how tough it could be. It is a very difficult business. It's easy to get in. But as far as being able to generate the business that you need to in order to live off of real estate, It takes a lot of effort, but the appreciation has been just beautiful. I ended up getting that house for 163. Right now, that house is about 475. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, just that one. I ended up getting another one like two years, three years ago uh, for 247. Another one just sold there for like 460. What's the cash flow been like on those properties? Did that increase uh, as time went on or did it stay kind of the same with tax increases? You know what? Usually I'll make, usually I've been making about two to $300 a month on passive income on almost all of them. And this is the other thing. 
Sometimes people will say, I'm not going to buy because nobody gets excited because they're making a hundred bucks a month. Nobody gets excited because they're, oh, wow, I'm getting an extra $400 a month. And then everybody around them be like, oh, be careful. Tenants are bad. They're going to jack up your house. And that's not exciting. But guess what is exciting? Hey, Victor, guess what? Man, this house is $475. How much did you pay for it? Now it's exciting. But see, it's delayed gratification. I have the, this little one right now. Are you familiar with Austin? Just somewhat, just from talking to Andreas and Dago. All right. So there's this area that they developed. It's super nice. They have, you know, mid-rise condos that, you know, people can only rent. And on the bottom is like high-end retail restaurants and so forth. They ended up building one of those like within three miles of my house. And then now they built a stadium for Major League Soccer, like right next to that place. This is like beautiful. I, I'm like super happy about getting that, uh, buying that house because that house now is easily over $400,000. And I paid eighty dollars for it. I mean, just think about that. $80,000. That's, That's something to look for too. Like if you're going to buy a house right now, you know, who's building in that area from a commercial perspective? Like one thing I was pumped to see when I got this house was Tropical Smoothie and Starbucks right there were popping up. And I'm like, you know, if they're investing in this area, I probably should. Oh yeah. And that's another thing to look at that, you know, cause Starbucks, they're not going to invest in a part of town that they don't think is going to appreciate in price and so forth. Why? Because not everybody can spend four or five bucks for a yeah. cup of coffee. Right. So that's where gentrification comes in and so forth. So it's like, be on the lookout. If you're not a realtor, find a realtor, but don't just work with anybody. Work with someone that has investment properties because most mm-hmm. realtors, in fact, most realtors don't even own their own home. I'll just tell you that. And then the ones that do usually own one. So they don't know how to see it through the eyes of an investor. And yes, you can learn it. And yes, you can crunch numbers and say, I'm seeing it through the eyes of the investor. But the only one that really does is someone that is an investor themselves. If not, then why are you asking them for guidance? right? If you and I have never been to Mount Everest, we're not going to give each other tips on how to go there because we read a couple books. What are we going to do? We're going to find a Sherpa and say, hey, teach us. What do we do? And then we just follow because they live there. They've done it numerous times. And that's what a realtor does for you, a good one. So be very careful with just you know working with whoever. You know, everyone wants to find a mentor too. And there's a way to find a good free mentor. You're not paying your realtor technically, you know, they're getting paid from the seller when that house is bought. So you, you don't have to send any money their way. They're going to teach you if you find an investor friendly one, one that invests, like you're saying, they're going to be able to teach you about the area. They're going to know way more about the area than you are. They're going to know how to run the numbers and they're a free mentor now. Like, I mean, that's the best way to find a mentor if you're looking to buy a property. Oh yeah, definitely. And the beautiful thing about it, it's a a relationship where both people win because they teach you, you feel comfortable, you get competent and you say, let's do it. They get paid and they can do that over and over again and get paid over and over again. But guess what? You're going to be accumulating property. Exactly. And that's just absolutely beautiful. Like I have a doctor friend of mine. It's uh, some of his colleagues uh, make fun of him because he's got all these rental properties. And I recently just had lunch with him and I'm like, Hey, so what happened to your buddies that were making fun of you? It's like, oh, now I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, because change most of part them, there. Yeah, because most of them, the super fancy car and mm. the real big mansion, and now this guy's all like, dude, I could buy two of those or three of those if I wanted to, and live for free still. And that's where their minds blown, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I have a few few kind of wrapping up questions to ask you that we ask every guest on the show. First one is, what is the difference between someone who is actually house hacking and someone who wants to house hack, but they just can't get themselves to get started? The mindset, knowing that everything's going to be fine. Another thing is like, not everybody can be a house hacker. If it's a, a type of person that worries too much or a conflictive person, don't do it. You're just going to ruin someone else's day or experience by living with you. Work on yourself first, become like cool to be around different variety of people. So that way you can go ahead and jump into this. Because if you don't have the right mindset, forget it. It's it's not going to work. You're just going to have big old headaches. And then you're going to say house hacking sucks. But in reality is because you don't have the right personality. Perfect. Do you have a um, favorite 
mindset book or or just resource. It could be a podcast, whatever. For me, I'll tell you, uh, usually people say Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I think it's a great book to read, but there's a book um, by Darren Hardy and it's called The Compound Effect. Have you heard it? I've heard of it. I haven't read it though. It's a beautiful book because it tells you how you're small and seemingly insignificant decisions affect you in a very grand way in the long run. And those are those decisions of, hey, should I compromise and maybe not have that, you know, beautiful trophy house now? Maybe I can get a smaller home or maybe I can get the kind of home that is equipped for me to have two, three other people live with me and live for free. So those small decisions make a big difference. And and that also comes along with you know, being a student of life and learning from podcasts like these, learning from other people that have walked that path before. So that book for me, it's probably one of the the biggest game changers. That's really interesting. Have you read um, The One Thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of a similar concept because it's like, what's the one thing that you can do right now that's going to make everything else easier? And the compound effect, you know, similar thing, like, you know, you can do one small thing right now to make everything else that you have to do easier, you know, compound effect. If you can start slow and small, those small decisions are going to build up to something that compounds and really impacts you. Exactly. Oh yeah, definitely. And it's, and think about this. If you start living for free, instead of being able to take only one trip, maybe now you could take three in a year and start living a little bit more. Or if you say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice that now. I'm going to save more and then I'll buy a second house hack and do it like that over and over and over and over again. It just really depends. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you have a favorite real estate book or resource? Man, I really like this book called Life by Design. I keep looking over here because I have all my books. <laughs> um, but yeah, Life by Design. Uh, but that's more of a realtor book. I don't know if, if you were asking about that or more like investment wise, but Life by Design, I really like it. I, again, at the end of the day, why do we house hack? What's the end goal for us to live a, a comfortable life? And at at the end of every effort and everything we do, we want to do what? Have the freedom to do what we want, have the money, be happy, less worry. So at the end of the day, you get to design the life you want to have instead of being like most people that complain about life, yet they keep making those small mistakes every single day. I remember for a certain, uh, certain part of my life, I would go to work, come home, and then I would watch all the sitcoms that I wanted to watch. And now I look back and I'm like, damn, I wasted like three years of my life living like that. But just look around who in your family, friends, et cetera, that have that life where they go home and they're rushing to watch that game. I learned this a long time ago. They're like, you know what? I don't know why you idolize all these guys that are, you know, playing sports when in reality you'd see them somewhere. They probably wouldn't even say hi. He says, you know what? Get passionate about your life. Create the life you want so that you can go ahead and be a superstar for your family when you get married and for your kids. I mean, think about that. How Mm -hmm. much time do we invest in stuff like that? And yeah, it's not bad. You know, you want to see a game. I grew up playing sports. I love sports, but I became more in love with what I wanted to do versus, you know, being a cheerleader for someone that I don't know and doesn't like me. Because if I said hi, they'd probably be like, who the hell are you? (laughs) (laughs) That's why I watch football. It's only 16 games a year. Yeah. So it's not taking up too much time. And then I'm a Lions fan. So we don't really get that 17th week very often. Yeah. And there's always sports center. <laughs> yeah. Right. The highlights. <laughs> get the highlights. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Get the quick recap. Yeah. <laughs> so I really appreciate you coming on the show, Victor. I think your story is amazing. I think it's going to be very inspiring to all our listeners. And it's the perfect story for this type of podcast. Before we go, where can people find out more about you? Realtor Nino on Instagram or just Victor Nino on Facebook. And, um, you know, I I share different stuff that I do when it comes to real estate mindset, just different experiences and so forth. And the beautiful thing about this day and age is that we can learn from so many people. So, you know what, If, if you follow the right people, if you take the right actions, then, like I said before, your future self will be very happy with you. Love it. Thank you for coming, Victor. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for the invitation. You have a good one.